Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. Hello. And Hello. welcome. Two. This is gonna sound weird. Mm-hmm. I am one of your hosts. <laughs> and I'm Taylor, your other host. <laughs> and uh, each week we tackle a different topic covering all things true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. This week's theme is... Weirdest crimes or wackiest crimes. Wacky crimes. That's, that is the word that I was going for. That's, that's mm-hmm. the word I Googled. I did weird um, just because, you know, that is the name of the show, as we have just said about 49 seconds ago. Or less. Just, you could just hit the reverse 30 seconds on your, uh, whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast, if you missed it. I do that when I am listening to a podcast and they have a lot of oh, ads. Yeah. Just like to 30 seconds. I've been listening, uh, to a lot over. of podcasts by RuPaul's Drag Race alumni. Um, a lot of times, mm. like, Alaska and Willem are two drag queens and they do um you know like a recap of the show but lord have mercy i tell you the drag queens love to break for commercials they got all the damn sponsors uh they'll be just like talking and they'll be like hey it's time for a break and they'll be like oh yeah and then they'll just go on like a minute commercial spree and i'm like god dang it honestly get get the coin yeah but i hate it when the commercials trick me and i'm like going through them and then i hear something I'm like oh they're back to it mm-hmm. and then i listen to it and i'm like oh they're just doing a commercial to try to trick me into yes. listening to it <laughs> the the ladies of the one tree hill podcast drama queens do that where they do their like commercials almost just like them chatting and i'm like oh they're just having a conversation they're talking uh-huh. about whatever and i'm like Fuck no, they're talking about HelloFresh. HelloFresh. I've never used it, and I never plan to. Every time I go in and try to get my free meals, I'm always like, it ain't worth it. I'm never going to use it past this one time, even if I get it. And I'll forget to cancel my subscription like I do for Fabletics every single time. Uh, The thing about HelloFresh is they'll be like, hey, you get $20 off. And I'm like, that's a good deal. And then I realize... It no, not. it isn't. Because the fucking box cost you, like, $60 before. So then you're still paying $40. And so, as someone who I feel like does a pretty good job budgeting for groceries, I only spend, like, $25 on groceries each week. You know, give or take. Yeah, we spend about so. 100 Uh, But that's, you know, two of us for dinner all week, lunch, and some beer thrown in. So, uh... Yeah, the beers. Yeah, was getting but you. you know what? We're never going to be sponsored by HelloFresh, and that's okay with me because I don't find it the greatest thing out there. I think they're preying on our laziness. There, I said it. I just am. I just think it's very wasteful because everything's wrapped in plastic. There, I said it. I said it. I use my re- I reuse my reusable bags, so I don't want my. Th- groceries just wrapped in more plastic than it's already wrapped in yeah so uh there goes one sponsor we could have but you know what we don't need any more hello fresh ads out in the podcast world there's enough already can i get an amen 
Hey, I've yeah, thought about getting uh, groceries from Misfits Market before. They do like produce that uh, doesn't go to the stove mm-hmm. because it may look like, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln's head or something like that. I've thought about doing that, but I haven't ever looked into it far enough because I don't know if I would eat it uh, quick I've, enough. Um, I have looked into it uh, and it's a little overpriced, I'm uh. going to be honest. And I'm going to be honest, I don't want to pay more money for a ugly vegetable <laughs> than just a, a regular vegetable. Well, you think like, it'd be cheaper. Because vegetables are so cheap, you would think. But you're paying for the aesthetic of being so sustainable. Oh, there goes another fucking sponsor. We'll just, let's just throw them all out there. Everything that somebody was... Listen, let's just keep naming <laughs> different products and shitting on them. We're not even going to go over our stories this week. We're just going to absolutely roast the shit out of different corporate yeah, companies. What would I support? Uh, Sundrop. Um, yeah. Dr. Diet Dr. Pepper will be what oh, I would support. You know what I would really support? This is obscure and maybe they need it. Blue Diamond Almonds. I currently yes. have blue diamond almonds. Now have these little little wafers, like a little cracker or a little chip. So good. Um, also, I have have been getting the giant bags of the salt and vinegar almonds, and oh my god, they're so delicious. If y'all ain't never had them, have them and get back to me. I swear to God, delicious. Um, a product I will endorse, and you may be surprised, is Nespresso. Uh-huh. I got an I got an espresso machine last year on Black Friday and I absolutely love it. Um, it you may say Sydney, it's just an overpriced Keurig. Uh. No, it's not. It's so much more than that. It they got it gives you a little bit of foam. The coffee tastes better. It's so much smoother. Oh. And also, back on sustainability, you can recycle your little little pods. Oh, they yeah. give you a free bag when you order online, and then you just ship that shit nice. back. It's a win-win right. for everyone. Well, Blue Diamond Almonds or Nespresso wants to contact us. We are available. Um, we will have our lawyer, which is me, speak to you about a contract deal. Thank you. Thank you. But until then, I'm just going to tell you about my story. Or rather, stories okay. of this week. I decided to be be different. You know, te- I tend to go with the darker stories on this yeah. podcast. <laughs> if there's a dark story, I'll be like, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to... Pick the worst crime uh, I can Columbine? think of and yeah. describe it. That's to what you. I want to do on the week where we can do <laughs> literally any story in the world we want. I want to do the Columbine shooting. <laughs> I really like something lighthearted and um, not at all um, groundbreaking. No. So. Um, but this week I did go, I think I went pretty, I think I went pretty light. Maybe y'all don't think so. And you know what? No one's going to be surprised when I tell you what I'm doing. Because I said it last week. I am just going to tell you a couple funny news stories that I found about crazy shit Florida men have done. Classic. A classic wacky crime. Yeah. Some may say the place where all wacky crimes are committed. Uh, so... My sources are iHeartRadio.com, FloridaDaily.com, WTFFlorida.com, International Business Times, Tampa Bay Times, Huffington Post, and Jacksonville.com. So, 
Now, this one is probably my favorite out of all the ones. I'm going to be honest. Okay. So, you know, a lot of young guys like to pull funny pranks at the drive-thru. Uh, do you remember when we, we were probably like in high school, when people would do like the cone challenge where like they would order an ice cream cone uh-huh. and they would just grab the ice cream yes. off the cone or they'd grab the cone by the ice cream. You know, so most people do funny shit like that. Or I remember, like, people would uh, do the drive through wraps where they would wrap mm-hmm. their orders. Rhett and Link does one. That's a very OG YouTube video. But, you know, those are just some options. But pranks that you expect at a drive through are generally pretty lighthearted. Uh, what you don't expect is for someone to throw an alligator through the window of the drive through <laughs> you didn't see that coming but you should have because it's florida (laughs) well that's exactly what happened to the employees at a wendy's in royal palm beach florida when 22 year old joshua james captured a three and a half foot alligator from the side of the road and drove it to the local (laughs) wendy's where he proceeded to (laughs) hurl it through the drive-thru window Police were able to track down Joshua because he had purchased a drink just before <laughs> chucking the gator through the window and were able to trace it back via his credit card. So this is just going to go to show you if you're going to, you know, hurl any sort of reptile through a drive through window, pay cash no. next time. Joshua was arrested and charged with assault <laughs> with a deadly weapon and intent to do less than murder. Intent to do less than murder? <laughs> Do less that sounds than like murder. a Florida-specific like, crime. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we don't really know what he was wanting to do. We can tell you he wasn't planning on killing anyone. But other than that, we don't know. Uh, my question is, you know, how did he get this gator into his car in the first place? Like, was the gator not just, like, absolutely pissed off? Like... I mean, from the pictures I've seen, like, the gator's pretty small, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know. I guess, you know, Florida men are just built different. I guess so. Maybe that gator's seen him around the block a time or two. Yeah. He's like, hey, man, what you doing? What you doing today? Tonight? <laughs> you want to go? You trying to go to Wendy's? He's like, hey, man, I really like some chicken nugs. If you could, like, give me a ride, I'll just go right through that window. <laughs> <laughs> I love their baked potatoes and chili. I heard sometimes they put fingers in a chili. I'd really like a finger. (laughs) Delicious. All right. My next story. On the evening of... I'm sorry. On an evening in Daytona, Florida, 55-year-old Melvin Weaver and his wife got into an argument when Weaver's wife started to pack a bag to leave him. Melvin became angry and began smashing out the windows of his home and then began hitting his wife with his cane, yelling, the vampires are going to defend themselves, and shouted throughout the house. Mm -hmm. He then yanked the insulation out of the ceiling, throwing it onto the stove and setting the house on fire with his wife still inside, and began banging on neighbors' front doors with a knife in his hand, screaming that his wife was still in the house. Police arrived on the scene and found that Melvin's wife had managed to escape the burning home unharmed. Mm. 
Weaver then charged the aggro sorry was charged with aggravated battery with a deadly weapon and first degree arson of a dwelling with people present. Mm. To make the story even crazier, Melvin's wife had actually called the police earlier that day to have him involuntarily committed to a mental health facility. However, upon authorities' arrival, he appeared to be in fine condition, which I guess that did not last very long. No, don't seem like it. So, a lot can happen in just a few brief hours. Honestly, that reminds me of uh, one time Brandon went to a gas station and uh, there was a a gentleman in there. And he came in and requested that the uh, cashier call the police on him, apparently. Uh, because then, when she questioned him, he pulled out a butter knife and said he was going to stab everybody. <laughs> he was like, I have a butter knife. And Brandon tried to get out the door of the gas station. And the guy was like, he was like, you can't leave. And Brandon was like, bro, you have a butter knife. Uh, and then he came back to the car. And I was like, what took you so long? And he was like, it's a long story. And I was like, all right. <laughs> There's a hole. There's a hold up inside. So I don't know if that. I made. barely made it out alive. Does a butter knife count as a deadly weapon? I don't know. That could be a really good law school uh, hypo for a test. You know, it could be a deadly weapon if you are a stick of butter. That is. Didn't. That's true. Uh, but Brandon did not get stabbed by that butter knife. He's here to be with us today. <laughs> Thank God. A true hero. Give him a purple heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, my next story. In the early morning hours of November 6, 2018, the workers at the St. Augustine's Alligator Farm in St. Augustine's, Florida, arrived at work and upon inspecting one of the crocodile pits, found a croc. The shoe, <laughs> not the animal. They also found that there was around $5,000 worth of property to the damage, uh, sorry, damage to the property. They checked the security camera footage and saw Brandon Hatfield climbing into the Nile crocodile enclosure and jumping into the pool filled with crocodiles. Brandon was then attacked by one of the crocodiles where he injured his leg. Hatfield was attacked, but, you know, did not sustain any life-threatening injuries. Um, but just down the street from the alligator farm, police responded to a call regarding a man in underwear crawling across a woman's yard just near the St. Augustine's lighthouse. The man was taken to the hospital and was then identified as Brandon Hatfield, the same man who had jumped into the crocodile pit, and he was arrested for burglary, criminal mischief, and violation of his probation. Which, I had already heard this story because, uh, about... God, it would probably be almost two years now. Um, my family and I went to St. Augustine's for New Year's. And we took my nephews to the crocodile farm. And when I was Googling, like, you know, the alligator farm just to see what the hours, you know, or how much the tickets were costing or whatever. Uh-huh. That's the first thing that comes up when you <laughs> look up St. Augustine's <laughs> crocodile farm. And I was like, what the hell? Um, but yeah, I'm surprised that he survived because that reminds me of when I watched the movie Blackfish, they talk about how this gentleman had jumped into Tillicum's 
who was the who is still the big Shamu at SeaWorld into his tank and Tillicum killed him. Please, so. you know how I feel about Blackfish. <laughs> Why would you bring <laughs> that up to me? It needed to be said. The people at home need to know. Honestly, a very good documentary, though. Very sad. Uh, it inspired me to purchase my shark watch that donated money <laughs> to Marine Life. I think it specifically donated it to... I don't think it was killer whales, but I think it was whale sharks. It was whale sharks. <laughs> I thought that was close enough. So, so not at all killer it's whales. It's such a sad Which, okay. story for everybody involved. The whales, the people, the society. Which, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I think Blackfish is sad. I think, you know, it, it's very sad the fact that they at one point had captured these little baby whales you know and took them from their mamas in the ocean but i have also recently seen footage where it shows the killer whales basically first of all they hunt in packs but they also are like like legit killers because like yes they eat like seals but they have footage of killer whales just absolutely like ganging up on like a fucking stingray and just beating the shit out of it for a good hour and then when it finally dies they don't eat it well guess so they what just be- that stingray deserved that for what he did to steve <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that shit but there's also videos of like killer whales just like basically ganging up on fucking seals and beating the shit out of them too what the hell a seal do uh i don't know he was married to Heidi klum a while ago <laughs> Shut up. i don't know you think you think you're you think you're real funny you think you're a funny guy tonight don't you <laughs> so funny hey, I'm, I'm here she, all, i'm here every wednesday night tickets are five dollars at the door <laughs> i won't pay it <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. You know, killer whales, they are killers. You know, maybe out in the wild, they might be a booty hole. But like in captivity, I don't really blame them for eating them people because watch the movie. Tillicum was in a very too small tank and he was a big boy. And they they were kept away I mean, from each other. It, it's so sad. It is very sad. It is a good documentary. I recommend it. But... If I saw a killer whale out in the wild, I would have to skirt on. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be like, I'd probably try to, to I'd try to punch it in the face, probably. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I heard that's what you're supposed to do to sharks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just punch this fucking shark. Oh, uh, that, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. Let's just take your ass in a boat. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good idea. Uh, okay, now, my final story. Late one Friday night, around 1 a.m., the employees of an IHOP in Orlando, Florida, were giving quite the show when 55-year-old Matt Skyta came in for a pancake. Skyta demanded that he did not have to pay for his meal, seeing as he was a police officer. When the IHOP employees explained that he did have to pay for his food, 
Scotta pulled down his pants and mooned the waitstaff. Mm. When that did not change the situation, you know, he still had to pay. They weren't like, this cannot count as payment. Um, he then showed a Orlando police badge in his wallet and threatened to beat up one of the employees. Mm-hmm. Police were contacted and Skyda was arrested and quoted as saying, I am a Green Beret. If I die, Obama dies. Oh. He was also, so, um, he was, uh, charged with impersonating a police officer because yeah. despite that weird badge he had in his wallet, he wasn't, not a police he officer. A police? Perhaps, pol- perhaps a Green Beret though. Damn. Which, you know what? I know that IHOP is a 24-hour establishment, but I really don't expect that sort of tomfoolery at the IHOP. Um, I expect it at the Waffle House, which I don't know if we have any listeners who are not from the South, but the Waffle House is a Southern waffle chain where they are open 24 hours, 365 days a year, even if there is a hurricane they will be open. The only time that they ever close is if the hurricanes are so bad that they have to evacuate. And that's how we, growing up at the beach, knew uh, if we needed to get the hell out of Dodge, is if the Waffle House closed, you had to go. Because their buildings are built to withstand, uh, like, Category 5 hurricanes. But because of their the fact that they are open all the time and their food is so damn cheap, um, there's a lot of bullshit that goes on. Uh... Everybody's drunk past a certain hour. Um, your your cook could be smoking a cigarette, but I did not expect this at the IHOP. I definitely expected it at the Waffle House. Look, my thoughts on the IHOP have changed dramatically over the years. I used to be an IHOP stan, uh, and I thought Waffle House was ratchet. But I think that the tides are turning, and everybody realizes that Waffle House is the place to be. And so now people are going to IHOP for their tomfoolery because the Waffle House, they just won't. They won't deal with it anymore because now they are the top dog in the breakfast industry. Um, I, you know, I would probably not pull some bullshit at the Waffle House because I have no doubt that the employees would be like, you need to cut that shit out. They don't have to worry about customer service. They would just be like, shut the hell up. I could never work at a Waffle House. Uh, My fellow co-workers would run all over my ass because I don't have the personality to uh, clap back when I would need to. Um, They would just, you know, be mean to me and I would probably cry in the open kitchen of the Waffle House. (laughs) She can't even go back. No, there's nowhere (laughs) to to go. And they're usually only got a single shitter toilet. So, like, if somebody's in there, what what you gonna do? And you can't even go outside because it's like all windows. <laughs> I guess you're going to have to go behind a dumpster. No. Or perhaps the gas station next door. There's always a gas station next door. Yes. They're, they're at my local Waffle House, there is a gas station in the same parking lot. So if I ever have to get a job there, I'll just go to that gas station. A good call. All right. Well, that was my final Florida man story. I hope that I hope those are a little lighthearted for you this week. Wow, I did. I enjoyed those. Um, the only one of those that I knew was the alligator through the Wendy's window. So that was a, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a classic. Uh, so so are we ready for my story? 
Yes. Okay. So I'm doing a singular story. I thought about doing... Uh, Boo. Boring. <laughs> I thought about doing multiple stories like you did, but then I like landed on a singular one. And this one... So for some reason, I find uh, like heists kind of wacky, uh, depending like a bank heist or something. So that's kind of the theme of mine. Uh, so these are my sources. TheModernRogue.com. Five heists so bizarre they sound made up by Justin Crockett. Uh, Wikipedia.com. Uh, History of Yesterday. It was an article by Fiergal Fitzgibbon. And History.com. And it was uh, the page Apartheid. Uh, which doesn't sound very lighthearted, but uh, it, only, it only plays a partial role in the story. <laughs> so... I'm doing my story on Andre Stander. So, Andre Charles Stander was born on November 22nd, 1946, and he was the son of a prominent South African figure. Um, His dad was the South African, uh, he was in the South African prison service, and his name was Major General Francois Jacobus Stander. Uh, so, because his father was so prominent in the law enforcement community, from a very young age, Andre was under pressure to also pursue a career in law enforcement. So, in 1963, Andre enrolled at the South African Police Training College that was near Pretoria. He actually graduated at the top of his class, uh, but it seems he actually wasn't that great at school. Uh, He was actually pretty mediocre, but his father's influence helped him kind of, you know, make it to the top of the class, whether or not he deserved it or not. So, soon after he graduated from the school, he joined the Criminal Investigation Department at Kempton Park. And by 1977, he had made it to the role of captain in the Johannesburg Criminal Investigation Department, and he was just 31 years old. So, you know, you know, even if he did uh, make it through school with a little help from his old dad, you know, he had a good career going at this point. Uh, you know, didn't we, didn't we all go through school with a little help from our dads? Some of our dads, like my dad said, listen, you ain't never going to need math. You just need it to pass and you don't have to use it when you graduate. And you know what? He's right. Or some of y'all might have been that person that had the dad who was trying to explain you how math worked at midnight and you were crying at the kitchen table. I don't, I don't recall. I never asked my parents for help with math because I realized that it was not, it just wasn't going, it just wasn't going to get me nowhere. Nobody knew anything about math. Even when Caden needed help with math, like, you know, I was in high school. He was like in elementary school. Even then, I still couldn't help him with no maths because they had changed it since the time I was. They keep changing math. Changing (laughs) math. I didn't understand it the first time. What makes you think I'm going to understand it now when you draw a fucking tree? (laughs) <laughs> they're drawing trees now they be drawing trees well that's what they was doing the last time i heard i don't know what they're doing they, now they probably they probably changed it now now they're drawing bushes honestly when i have kids i'm gonna call my friends that are elementary school teachers and be like can you please like teach me this new age math so i can you know help my dang kid hey it's 12 o'clock at night and he's crying at the kitchen table saying he's never gonna get a job <laughs> <laughs> And his father's over there telling him he's a failure. God. (laughs) Just kidding. Brandon will be like, ah, it's all right, son. It don't matter no ways. And I'll be like, no, he has to pass. We want him out of this house. 
Um, anyways, back to Andre. So he has a stable career. He did pass math, apparently. Uh, he has a stable career. Things were going well, despite the fact that his colleagues were kind of jealous because they thought that his dad had gotten him, you know, all of his stuff. They got him his job. They helped him get to the level he was at in his job. But either way, he was there and he was doing it. But while appearances made it look like he had a great life, behind the scenes, uh, for him, it wasn't so rosy. His uh, marriage was about to end in divorce, and he also hated, even loathed, his job. Uh, but he was able, for the most part, to keep his dissatisfaction uh, for, away from his co-workers. So, you know, he didn't act like he hated his job, but he for sure did. Uh, so one morning, um, he was giving out assignments, you know, as he usually did to his staff. Uh, and that day, he decided he was going to shake it up a little bit. So he drove to the airport after he had given everybody their tasks for the day. Uh, he drove to the airport and he flew to Durban, which is near the South African coast. So when he got to Durban, he rented a car, then he got a disguise, and then he walked into a bank and robbed it. Then... He got on another plane and flew back to Johannesburg in time to work his afternoon shift. That's right. That's employee of the month status right there. Don't be late. Now, I looked up. I was like, how long would this flight have been? So, the flight uh, was would have been about an hour or so, and driving would have been about six and a half hours. So, like, you know, you could, in theory, do this. Um, this was also back in the 60s, so I would assume getting a plane ticket, uh, either 60s or 70s, 70s, I guess getting a plane ticket would have been a lot easier back then. You just walk oh, on to the yeah. bitch. Yeah, just like, hey, here's, where y'all going? Alright, great, here's five dollars. No, there's no security, there's no nothing. No. So, yeah, he was just like, hey, try, I'm trying to go somewhere. Um, and you know, he pulled off this bank robbery, uh, and I guess he liked robbing banks because he continued to rob banks as he continued to work as a police officer for the next three years. While the number of banks he robbed during this time isn't known for sure, it is estimated that he robbed over 30 banks and did it all while he was still serving as a police officer. Uh, during his robberies, he was able to get away with about 100,000 rands at a time. Now, I was going to look up what this translated to in dollars, and I forgot. Uh, so, just for context, um, quote, manager in a large company in South Africa would be lucky to get about 2,000 rands a month. So, like, you know, even if you're, uh, you know, got a good job, like... He was getting hell of money. Like, each time he robbed the bank, he was getting about 100000 of uh, rands. So, while robbing the banks, you know, he was, he was investigating crimes. Now, I couldn't tell if he was investigating his own robberies, which is possible. Um, but he would rob banks on his days off, and he would even keep robbing banks on his lunch breaks at work. Uh, you know what? Dang. He's hustling. Even on your lunch breaks, you out there working. Hustling. You know what I do on my lunch break? I normally go to uh, Target and just walk around. Today, I went to Old Navy. I usually go sit in my car because my office is so cold. I like to go sit in my hot car and get warm. <laughs> oh, I always sit in my car. Um, I just love sitting in random parking lots and uh, 
eating my lunch. But every now and then I like to get out and I like to just aimlessly walk around a department store. I feel that. Uh, I actually bought a uh, car wash subscription so I would go get my car washed <laughs> on my lunch break. <laughs> I thought about getting my car washed today, but I was like, it's too damn hot to do all that. I feel that. So, after his three years of robbing banks, Stander ended up being caught because of his own drunken admission at a party. Uh, he was talking to his friend, Carl Van Deventer, and he was trying to recruit Carl to rob banks with him. He was like, hey, Carl, you know, this would be pretty cool. We rob banks together. But Carl, he wasn't down with that. Uh, and so when Carl was like, you know, I don't want to do that, Stander was like, oh, man, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. And Carl was like, yeah, I fucking bet. Uh, so Carl started an investigation into these crimes because I assume his friend Carl was also on the police force. Um, and in 1980, Stander was arrested and he ended up being found guilty of 15 counts of bank robbery and was sentenced to 17 years in the Zonderwater Maximum Security Prison. So usually, you know, when police officers go to prison, it's not good for them. Everybody there hates, you hate the police in prison, you know, what is it, uh, a snitch, they're gonna be a snitch. But uh, when he got there, he was apparently very charming and he was able to charm his way into getting both the prisoners and the guards to like him. And so while in prison, he became friends with a fellow bank robber named George Allen Heil. And uh, he was a political idealist who hated the apartheid system in South Africa. Um, and if you don't know what apartheid is, um, it means, the word means apartness in the language of Afrikaans. Uh, and it was a system that upheld segregationist policies against the non-white citizens of South Africa during this time. Um, and so after the National Party gained power in South Africa in 1948, the all-white government immediately began enforcing existing policies of racial segregation. And the weirdest part about it was that uh, it was actually the white people in South Africa were actually the minority. So it was a minority group that was enforcing these racial policies, which I feel is it's unusual. It's, well, compared to America, it's very unusual. Oh, yeah. We had to read a book about it in, I want to say, like, sophomore year of high school. And I remember we were, like, very confused. Also because we had never fucking heard of it. Yeah, probably because they didn't give the backstory of the fact that, like, the reason it was able to happen is I'm pretty sure that, you know, I was a history minor in college. uh, Because, you know, the British went and colonized them or whatever. And then they ended up being able to, like, run the government. Uh, and if you run the government, you make the decisions, even if you are the minority, because the minority race, even though, we, as we know, race is not real. Uh, well, it's real, but it's a social construct. I hate it when people say that, but it's true. Because <laughs> I was like, what does she mean? Because I feel like, <laughs> yes, I feel I like know now everybody's like, this is a social construct. And you know, it's, you know, the type of people who like to just use it just to say it. But some stuff really is. Not everything is, but some stuff really is like race okay mm-hmm. but okay basically the guy that stander met he is against this apartheid system so he's kind of like you know fuck the man uh so soon uh, after these two met they became friends uh and then another man joined the group of friends and his name was patrick lee mccall 
Now, you know, these fellas, they were friends, but they weren't just hanging out and shooting the shit. They were plotting and they were planning. And in 1983, McCall and Stander both has a, had a visit to one of the prison's physiotherapists. And during this visit, they were left alone with the therapist and the two of them overpowered her and were able to escape the prison. Now, there were other prisoners also on this visit, but they did not join the escape. Uh, they were like, that's a bad idea. We're going to stay here. So, obviously, after they escaped, there's a huge manhunt that ensued. And the two of them were able to evade law enforcement for two months. But, as if we remember, their friend, George Heil, I think his name was George. Yeah, George was still in prison. Uh, so, they escaped without him. Uh, but they were good homies. You can't leave your homie behind. So after two months, they both went back to the prison in order to break Heil out. And it worked. Uh, I, I would say this prison probably wasn't, you know, it could have been better. Could have been better. Could have been. So now the three of them were a true criminal gang and they wasted no time. In just two months, they had robbed 20 banks and stolen over 500,000 rands. They were moving so quickly that one day they robbed four banks in a single day. Uh, So, like, they really getting it. Like, just back to back to back Mm -hmm. robbing these banks. Uh, but the weird thing about them was they weren't like some crazy violent robbers that come in there with a gun that are like, give me all your money. Uh, they became actually known for their lack of violence and stealth during the crimes. So basically, you know, they would just walk into the bank. The three of them would go in. I guess they would casually walk over to a teller. And then once they got there, they would intimidate them. I feel like, like you would see, you know, on a a TV show or something and then force the teller to fill the bag with money and they would leave. But they were so sneaky and calm about it that one time a security guard actually held the door open for them as they exited the bank with their stolen money. <laughs> Honestly, that's some good customer service. It's like, hey, thanks, thanks for coming. Thanks for stopping by today. Uh, you know, now, now that I'm telling this story, I'm thinking about that episode of SpongeBob where they go in with the socks on their heads and they're like, give me all your money. <laughs> um, they were a lot better at stealing from a bank than SpongeBob and Patrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, even though these men were obviously criminals, they were bank robbers, the public perception of them was not what you would think. Uh, they became pretty famous, and they were featured often on newspapers uh, in South Africa. The public cheered them on to continue to rob because the public thought they were anti-government figures that were trying to embarrass the police on purpose. So I guess like, you know, they were kind of like, y'all can't catch us. We keep robbing all these banks and you still can't catch us. So it was kind of like a, you know, going against the man type of situation. The public thought it was a political movement. And the group also did not live in fear of getting caught uh, because they lived a very lavish lifestyle, which included shopping and eating at very expensive places. But, you know, you can't evade the police forever. And as they kept robbing, the police were closing in on them. And once, Stander was on a jog and almost got caught. And another time, they had to flee a restaurant when they got recognized by an off-duty officer. Which, maybe I'm just dumb, but I think if you're on the run from the police, uh, I just feel like you don't go to restaurants. I just assume you sit in your house and do nothing all day. Or wherever. Yeah, I guess you don't own a house, but, uh, you know. The only thing I know about running from, like, police is 
the first thing you do, go to a random gas station on the side of the highway. Cut and dye your hair. Yeah. That is what they always do. They always they always cut and dye their hair. Good idea. And then and then they th- and then they throw it somewhere, you know, like they're they're garbage and then oh, we we didn't we were looking for a blonde girl, but she has dark hair now. Uh, this is a side note. If you've ever watched Gone Girl, mm-hmm. I have a bone to pick. If you haven't, just uh, do a little little skipperoo because I'm about to spoil something. So in Gone Girl, she's got blonde hair, and so in order to disguise herself, she dyes her hair. But she doesn't dye her hair like a like a dark brown or red, you know, nothing crazy. She just dyes it from a bleach blonde to like a dirty blonde bitch nobody will ever suspect it why would she just dye her hair one shade darker that's insanity i don't know but that has always bugged me (laughs) i watched that movie um honestly i don't really remember what happened i know she was gone for a while and then she came back yep that's exactly what happened Uh, you don't need to see it yeah you don't need to see it because that's all that happened she was gone and she came back yeah yeah i haven't watched it in a long time I don't, I don't really recall the details. I guess it didn't stick with me too much. Uh, but these people, they didn't dye their hair. They weren't really trying very hard to uh, disguise. Uh, so because they were getting so close to being caught, the three of them decided that they were going to relocate to the United States. So since they were obviously now rich after robbing all these banks, they bought a yacht and they were going to plan to sail on the yacht to Miami. So, they secured fake passports, but the police were closing in on them. Uh, now, you know, they planned to sell to Florida, but ahead of the trip, Stander actually flew to Florida so he could secure a dock for their yacht. And so, my question is, I would think, okay, maybe they were trying to sail so they could, like, go under the radar, but, like, if you got fake passports and you can fly to Florida, why do you need to buy a yacht and bring it over? It just seems like an extra step that was unnecessary. Because you got to arrive in style. I guess You so. know, if you arrive on a plane to Miami, no one's going to bat an eye. But if you arrive to Miami on a dock with a yacht, you'll be the talk of the town. People will be like, who is, who are they? Is that Pitbull? It's not. It's these people that rob banks. It's these South African <laughs> from Africa. bank robbers. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Stander, he's in the United States trying to secure him a spot at the boat dock. Uh, and the other two are still over. I couldn't tell exactly where they were at this point. They were either in Africa or in Europe. Um, but they were somewhere that was not the United States. Because before McCall was able to make it to the United States, he was killed during a police raid in one of the gang's hideouts. But Heil was also there, and he was able to escape. And then he fled to Greece, then to England, then to Spain, then back to England, where he ended up getting caught. <laughs> how, how did he even manage to get caught, seeing as he, he moved around so much, you would think? You know, maybe in England, they, have, they were like, they clocked him, and they knew to be looking for him. Uh... And so when he went back to England, they're like, he'll, he'll be back. Yeah, they were like, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> because at this point, uh, the country of South Africa was really getting on these men. And they notified other countries that they were seeking arrest of Heil and Stander. 
Um, and they wanted both the men to be extradited back to South Africa. So I assume when he went back to England, you know, they had his picture up and they were like, oh, got him. There he is. Um, so at this point, Stander was the only three of the men who had made it to the United States to live his uh, dream. Uh, but his cash was running out. Uh, after all this money, they were spending it so lavishly on yachts and such. Um, it was running out. And the local law first He ran out of ran? Yeah, he ran out of rans. <laughs> And the local law enforcement in Florida was searching for him uh, after they got the notification from South Africa. So, of course, part of this story takes place in Florida, because how could it not? It all roads lead back to to Florida. Florida. Uh, So, at this point, Stander created a false identity while in Florida. And it was of an Australian author named Peter Harris. And he forged a driver's license. And he went to a used car lot, bought a Ford Mustang, um, and on February 10th, 1984, the police pulled him over while he was driving, and they arrested him for an unregistered vehicle. Um, now, when he got pulled over, he presented the false ID, but the police were like, man, this is fake, and they took it. Um, but they believed his story uh, about his identity, and they released him. Um so, you know, they didn't realize uh, the, who he was at this point, um, but, you know, they let him go. And so once he was released that same evening, they took his car still, you know, they, let, they were like, we ain't going to arrest you, but we're going to take your car. So they took the car uh, and Stander uh, returned to the police impound lot that time. I mean, that night. You know, let me start that over. I'm confusing myself. I'm just gonna take a break. Okay. Just take take a breath. You got it. <laughs> it's just me. It's just it's us. Just me and it's you. just us. Will I leave this in? Possibly. Okay, we're back to it. Uh, <laughs> so he was released from the police. Okay. Uh, but he went to the police impound lot that night, and he stole his car back from the police. Uh, Baller energy. Oh yeah. And so the next morning, he went back to the lot where he had bought the car. And he asked the dealer that sold it to him if he could repaint the car. Uh, you know, because he didn't he didn't want to get caught. Uh, but the, the dealer had just read that uh, Stander was wanted by the South African police. And he had seen it in the paper. And he helped Stander out. But as soon as Stander left the dealership, the dealer called his lawyer uh, to ask him what to do. And his lawyer was like, please call the police. So... He called the police. And on February 13th, 1984, Stander was caught during a police stakeout when the police had initially surrounded his apartment. Uh, Stander wasn't there when they, like, had first surrounded it, but he returned via bicycle. Um, and when he returned, <laughs> the police were surrounding his uh, apartment. And so, author Michael Van Statina attempted to detain Stander uh, but when the officer went to arrest him, there was a grapple over the officer's gun as Stander was trying to get away. And in the confusion, the gun went off shooting Stander. The officer called the police. God dang, I can't read. The police was already there. The police were arresting he him. him. He called himself. 
The officer called the ambulance, but before the ambulance could arrive on the scene, Stander died from blood loss. Now, we remember Heil. You remember Heil, who was caught in England? Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up uh, serving a prison sentence in England, uh, and then he was extradited back to South Africa. And he actually got released in 2005, and he was the sole survivor of the robber gang. He spoke out about the popularity of the gang, saying, quote, The fact that Andre was a former police captain suited the romantic notion of a good turned bad against bad, and that's where sensationalism became hysteria as never before or since. Um... And so, to this day, Stander remains as some sort of a popular legend, with some thinking that he was an apartheid hero, and others thought he just wanted to live this life of luxury and excitement, Uh, but they don't really know as to what his true motive for turning to crime was. He claims that uh, the reason that he was doing this, I guess, while he was still robbing, was that he was involved in an incident in 1976, um, which was the Soweto Uprising, where he and his fellow officers had shot over 20 black protesters. However, his colleagues say that he was not there during this event, and he confused it with another incident, uh, because the police at that time often had to engage in a civil unrest. And so basically, the thought was he was trying to say that he had become disillusioned with the police after witnessing all the police violence. So he thought he was going to go against the man and rob some banks. Uh, Now, my own personal uh, opinion was the other thought that he just loved the excitement um, and he wanted some moolah and to live a life of luxury. Because my thought is, if you want to go against the man... Like, the government, which was the problem at this time, I don't really think robbing banks and getting hella cash money is the way to do it. But that's just me. Um, Listen, you may not think that, but do you know? You won't know. I won't know till I rob my first bank. We, he, he had to see it through. It, now, it did not work out for him. No, it didn't. But... Perhaps things could have been different. Now he knows. If they had just let him do what he wanted to do. You gotta let him see it through. Honestly. Um, and so, to this day, you know, maybe Andre was some sort of, uh, you know, justice warrior. Or maybe he was just somebody who wanted a yacht and wanted to go to Miami. The world may never know. But that was the story of... Why, <laughs> Why can't he be both? He can be both. Uh, well, unfortunately... He died while trying to escape his own fate. Uh, And and that's the story of Andre Stander and his robber gang. Wow. Um, Did it ever mention what type of disguises they used? No, it didn't actually. I wonder if it was was different every time or if it was like one time they used this and one time they were dressed up like presidents. There is a funny movie from, I can't remember if it's the 90s or the early 2000s. It has James Marston in it. And basically the premise is that this high school cheerleader gets pregnant by her football, like, player boyfriend in high school. And, you know, she didn't got enough money. They're about to have twins. Oh. So 
her friends on the cheerleading squad help her rob a bank (laughs) but it's funny because it's the bank that's also attached to the grocery store and the one girl like they ran out of mask so she has like a ronald reagan mask (laughs) um so that's what i envision whenever i think of people robbing banks it's like a ronald reagan mask um i would say that these guys probably if they disguise themselves because like he disguised himself the first time but uh, i would say it was probably just like a little casual wig here or there because you know like i said they were stealthy so i don't think they would have made it in with a ronald reagan mask on uh and had the security guard open the door for them politely to let them out but, you know, I've never Fair been to enough. South Africa, so I couldn't say how they like to do stuff over there. Maybe everyone looks like Ronald Reagan in South Africa. At that time? Uh, yeah, they probably did. Everybody in the government probably did. White. Old. Man. Man. <laughs> so. Movie star. Uh, well, thank you for that story. You're welcome. It, it didn't. It didn't end as wacky as it began, but it was wacky throughout. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a steady whack throughout. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, let's tell the let's tell the listeners about what we're doing next week. So next week we're doing something a little different. We are. I am going to Disney next week. And that's not the different part. That's you could have predicted that. If you follow me on Instagram, you know. That's where I'm gonna be. Mm-hmm. Go there all the time. So I'm going to Disney. So Taylor, what are we doing next week? We're gonna have an episode. We will. It's gonna be something different. So we've decided instead of leaving y'all hanging we decided to re-release an old episode. Um, we're releasing an episode that's very special and near and dear to my heart, which is our episode where we covered witches. I did the Salem Witch Trials, as you may or may not know. Um, I did my senior thesis on this in high school. So we have re-released that episode. Um, it's a good one. I liked it. There's lots of laughs. It was back when me and Sydney recorded in the same room as each other. Um, oh yeah because we uh you may not know we record virtually now but i used to go to taylor's house and sit in her guest bedroom and we would record and sometimes me her and brandon would have dinner together it's quite nice let's bring it back we don't do that anymore because some people have jobs all right it's, it's me. I have a job. I also have a job. That's what I like to say to Brandon whenever I'm making fun of him or he's being lazy. I'll be like, some of us have a job, even though he pays for me to live here. Um, I do that to my dad all the time. Uh, um, my dad will be like, what, what did you do today? And I'll be like, I worked. Some people have to work around here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like to do that because I also work from home. So uh, I do work, but, you know, I ain't got to be out hustling too much. She's <laughs> not working the streets by any means. Hell no. Nah. But yes, please come next week. We will be releasing, uh, re-releasing that episode. It's fun. Um, it'll be fun. Sydney will be up in Disney World, hot as hell, sweating and stuff. That's exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be eating. Eating good. Hey, I'm going to a rodeo this weekend, so catch me. Catch me at the rodeo. If you live in Raleigh and you're going to the rodeo, hit me up. <laughs> Yeehaw. Yeehaw. 
Um, let's see. All right. Other than that, follow us yeah. on all the things: Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, Y'all yeah. can find us. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be really great. You know, we've been stuck at this certain number for a while. I won't tell you what it is. Um, but we've been stuck on it, and I'd like to get past it. I'd like to get over the hump. So if you could please just do us that favor, that would be great. That'd be great. Well, now I'm, I'm thinking. I think we're all thinking what I'm thinking. If it's a number. But you know what? You'll have to go to our podcast page mm-hmm. and write a review to find out. Yep, you will. You'll never know unless you go look. <laughs> we'll never reveal it. Um. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Come back next week. And then come back the next week after that. Mm-hmm. And just keep coming back. And? Stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.